Well, when my husband Carl and I got married and we started living with each other, we started noticing that we had some habits that we hadn't noticed about each other before we'd gotten married and we're living together. Um, now, my husband, Carl, he likes to have a toothpick after a meal. He likes to kind of chew on it, and that didn't really drive me crazy. That didn't bother me so much. What did drive me crazy was finding toothpicks all over our apartment. It made me crazy. And so when I so gently and lovingly brought this up to my new groom, I could not believe that he actually had something that he had that was driving him crazy that I did as well. Apparently, I had this habit of any time I would go get a glass of water to drink it, I would get distracted and I'd leave my water all over the apartment, like on different counters or tabletops, and it was making him crazy. So here we were, this newly married couple ready to take on the world, and our apartment was just littered with toothpicks and water glasses, and we were driving each other crazy. Habits are such a silly thing, aren't they? Habits are something that we do sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We start to form habits, but habits can also be very powerful in changing our behavior or bringing a new behavior that we desire into our lives. I mean, I have all kinds of habits. I wake up in the morning and I like to brush my teeth with the same kind of toothpaste. I like to drink the same kind of coffee every morning. I even eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. How about you? Do you have some habits that you do all the time on a regular basis? Things that maybe you've been intentional about or maybe even things that you've been unintentional about. What do you do first thing when you get up in the morning? Uh, Maybe you like to go for a run or maybe you read the newspaper. Maybe you drink a glass of orange juice in the morning or maybe you check your phone the first thing in the morning. We have all kinds of habits for everything. We even have stress habits, right? What do you do when you get stressed? Some people bite their nails, tap their foot. Maybe you go and do something healthy like exercise. Sometimes we eat maybe some junk food if we're stressed. We even have faith habits. Did you wake up today and realize it was Sunday? And did your car go on autopilot to church this morning? Is that a habit that you are in? Or did you walk into church this morning and sit in the same place that you always sit? Is it a habit for you? Sometimes we have habits of when we read our Bible or when we pray or when we go to our life group. We have all kinds of habits that help surround our our faith that we live out our lives every day as well. Now, have you ever wished that you could change a habit or maybe had habit envy? You see someone and you really like the habit they have and you just think, oh, if only I could have that habit as well. Now, there's a whole science behind the study of habits. Our brains actually have a response to habits that is constantly trying to force our behaviors and our routines into a habit. Because when our brain can do that, we use less energy in our brain. And our brains like that because it conserves energy for other things. So our brains, we're constantly trying to be forced into becoming habit-based creatures. So this means if we want to create a brand new habit, it's going to take some brain power. It's going to take some energy. We have to be intentional about teaching our brain how to get into this new habit. So 
when you wake up in the morning and, you know, you feel that slimy thing on your teeth, you're like, okay, this is a cue. And my behavior becomes brushing my teeth and the reward becomes a mouth that doesn't have that slimy feeling in it anymore and a mouth that is fresh and minty. So you've got the cue of slimy teeth, the behavior of brushing your teeth, and the reward of a minty, fresh mouth. And so it tells your brain, we like this. Let's do it again. And so it becomes the desire in your brain to start it as a habit. So we form habits for all different reasons. We eat a brownie and our mouth says, yum, that was good. Let's do that again. Or maybe we post something on Facebook or Instagram and we get a like or a comment. And so um, our brain says, yay, that was cool. Let's do that again. And so these are some of the ways that we begin um, this habit loop which is what the video was talking about. This habit loop is something that has been developed by MIT researchers that's really legit. This is how our bodies respond to this. Now, did you know that even Jesus had habits? Jesus had habits that we can track in the Bible. Now, I don't know what his favorite flavor toothpaste was, or I don't even know what his favorite workout routine was. But I can see as I studied Jesus in Scripture that Jesus, too, had some habits. And as I look at this, I see that his habits begin to rub off on his followers. And I started thinking about this. And I really like this idea that we, as followers of Jesus, could adopt some of the habits of Jesus that they could rub off on us. Isn't this an intriguing idea to think about? What were the habits of Jesus? So we're going to look at one of these today. So we're going to be in John chapter 4. John is in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. It's the the fourth section, John. And this takes place right when Jesus had begun his, his public ministry. He was about 30 years old, and God had kind of initiated his public ministry, and God had sent his cousin, John the Baptist, ahead of him. Now, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he was there to kind of point people to Jesus, to prepare the way for Jesus. So when people would come to John the Baptist and listen to him, John's message was, I'm not the one you're supposed to be looking for. Go find. Jesus. Go find him, not me. And so as people began to do this and people began to find Jesus, Jesus began to increase in popularity. John the Baptist's popularity began to decrease and and Jesus' popularity began to increase. And the religious leaders started to notice this. And as they did this, Um, word kind of got to Jesus, and he decided to change where he was ministering at. He'd been down in Judea, which is southern Israel. And so he decided he wanted to go up to Galilee. And so this is in the northern region up here on the map. So he's going from Judea up to Galilee. So um, there was nothing really unusual about this. But just as he was getting really popular— um, I mean, his Facebook page was blowing up with likes. The you know paparazzi were trailing after him. He was getting lined up for interviews. I mean, people were really starting to like Jesus. He does something really strange. I mean, really strange. As he begins this journey from Judea up to Galilee, as he kind of heads up this way, um, normally anybody who was a good Jewish boy, like Jesus and the disciples— they would go around this region to head back up to Galilee. They wouldn't go straight through Samaria. They'd go around. Now, the reason for this is that Jesus and the disciples were Jewish. And the people who lived in Samaria, they were of mixed blood. They weren't pure Jewish um, ethnic descent. 
Now, back in the day, this was a big deal. And Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And so Jews would typically, on purpose, spend more time on their trip to go out of their way to avoid these people. But Jesus, when he was getting ready to head up to Galilee, instead he goes from Judea and he heads straight up into this region of Samaria. Now, I can only imagine as they got closer, the disciples probably like started to stop, maybe back away a little bit. And Jesus keeps going. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Come on, man, let's go. go. We go around Samaria this way. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus didn't listen to them. He kept going straight into Samaria. And so the disciples, whether out of just blind loyalty, maybe a little bit of curiosity, or maybe just complete fear that they needed to have Jesus back and take care of them, they followed Jesus into a place that they would not normally go. So as they head into this region, it's about lunchtime. And so um, eventually Jesus kind of stops. There's not much around in the area. And Jesus decides to send the disciples on into the city, probably to get some lunch because they were hungry. But my guess is that Jesus was getting a little annoyed with these guys, complaining about having to walk through Samaria. So Jesus maybe just needed a little break from the guys and said, hey, you guys go get some food. I'm going to hang back. We'll regroup in a little bit and it'll be good. So the disciples head out and um, they go to get some food. And Jesus, as he's standing there, he notices a well. And so he's hot, he's tired, it's noon, they've been walking, he's thirsty. So he decides to walk over and he sits at the well. And as he's sitting at the well in the distance, he sees a woman starting to walk towards him, carrying her water jars to come and and fill them with water. Now this is kind of strange because it's noon, and this wasn't the typical habit of women collecting water. Typically this was a real social event, and women would do this together in the morning when it wasn't so hot. And so for her to come by herself in the heat of the day was quite unusual. And so as she comes and she gets to the well, Jesus asks her if she will give him a drink of water. John 4, 9 says this, Um, she's a little concerned, a little confused about why he would ask her that. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus begins a conversation with her, and he ends up telling her that he has living water. He has water that she could have that will mean that she will never thirst again. And she's really interested. She's like, where do you get this water? How do I get it? I want this water. And just as Jesus starts talking to her about this living water, he changes the subject. And all of a sudden, he goes and asks her this question in John 4, 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. He says, go go and get him. And Jesus says, only God can begins to reveal to her that he knows things about her that she hasn't even talked to him about. He reveals that she knows that she's had five husbands and that the man she's living with right now is not even her husband. Can you imagine if you were just kind of about your business on a daily errand and you run into someone who knows things about you that you don't like to talk about? things that you don't talk about, and he knows them. And you're wondering, 
what is going on? And she responds to him, and she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, I love how she responds to this. As someone knows the deepest things about her, she doesn't get defensive. She doesn't deny it. She doesn't argue. She just kind of says, wow, you know your stuff. Wow, you know me. And then she changes the subject, and she starts to talk to Jesus about what the best place to worship is. Is it on a mountain? Is it in Jerusalem? And, and Jesus kind of tracks with her and just keeps talking with her about it. And she, he says, you know what? The time is coming where people who love and worship God are going to do that in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be about a location or a building or a place because it's about having a relationship with God. And then the woman asked Jesus another question. And I think at this point she's starting to catch on here that Jesus isn't a normal human being, that Jesus is not like the other men that she's ever encountered. And so she asked him a question sort of without actually asking the question. Have you ever known someone who's good at this? Maybe indirect questions. My daughter's really good at this. She knows after we have dessert at night that she can't have more dessert. So rather than ask me for the question, she says something like, mommy, that was so good. I wish we could have more. The question without the question, right? So the woman says this to Jesus. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. That was the question behind the question. Are you him? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And then Jesus responds, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Wow. This unnamed, scandalous Samaritan woman. Perhaps one of the last people we would expect this kind of declaration to be made. That she finds Jesus. She finds the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the hope for all nations, living water for her parched soul. She found Jesus that day. It was a random hot day at noon when no one else was around. And she really was not in the right place. I mean, she was in Samaria. Samaria is not the right place to encounter the God of the universe. Things really were not going well for her. I mean, she had had a rough history with men. Um, She was not really received well by the community. She didn't have many friends. And she was not prepared for this moment. She was just gathering some water at the well, and she encountered a holy man. This was not what she was expecting. But she found Jesus, even when she was not expecting it. And when you find Jesus, it changes everything changes everything. And John 4 tells us that right as she had this encounter, the disciples started to wander back from town at this time. And they were surprised to see him talking with a Samaritan woman, but they didn't say anything. Can you imagine what that conversation was as they saw Jesus in the distance far off? And they're like, wait, is that Jesus? Wait, who is he talking to? Is that a Samaritan? Is that a woman? 
What is he thinking? James, go get him. Peter, tell him to stop this. He is going to ruin the good thing we've got going. We've been working on building this ministry. Jesus is gaining credibility. Things are going well. What is Jesus doing talking to a Samaritan woman? But then they lost their nerve, and they didn't say anything to Jesus as they walked up to him talking to this woman. And just as the disciples lost their nerve, the woman gained hers, and she totally left her water jar, and she started heading into the village, holding on to that living water that could not be contained in a container. And she went and she found the the crowd in town. She went right into the village, and she said, I found Jesus. You need to come and find him too. Scripture tells us in John 429. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they went to look for Jesus. And my guess is that many in that crowd that day found themselves in a similar situation. They were not in the right place. They were still in Samaria. Things were not necessarily going well in all of their lives. And they were not necessarily prepared to meet a holy man on that random day in their lives. But they experienced Jesus and they believed. Because Jesus is always better experienced rather than explained. Jesus is always better experienced than explained. And scripture goes on to tell us in John 4, 39 through 42, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It was a woman whose name is not even recorded in scripture. She is a nameless woman, a nameless, scandalous Samaritan woman who found Jesus. And she immediately went to others to let them know that they needed to find him too. You see, it's because found people find people. Found people, when they find Jesus, they find other people. Now, this is one of the core values here at Purpose Church. And we love this value and believe in it so deeply because it has the power to change lives. Let's watch this together. My name is Rita. I born and grew up in Iraq from Muslim fanatic. The first meet with Jesus, I, I went in the village. There is a missionary from the church next to that camp of refuge when I live. The pastor started to put me in a prayer group and Bible study group and start to telling me beautiful stories about Jesus. I need this man to be my savior and the Lord appeared to me in my room and said, follow me, follow me. I decided to be baptized. Later on, the Lord opened the doors for me to come to United States. 
just work in his field my heart full with love to muslims i want to tell them there is no future in islam there is no eternal life in islam when i came here one day i hear the voice of the lord clearly in my heart and he said listen stay home and write what i did in your life then i started writing and writing and writing because anything in writing doesn't go away if some friends get this book from me to give it to muslims a small and short message to show the difference between islams and the christianity one day i in walmart i saw a woman with covered hair i want to start any kind of conversation with her but my heart is in fire to tell her about jesus to this woman i said please lord continue continue with her and i do these things every day the lord said i put you just to plant the seeds i found by god to find other people found people find people now that's kind of a catchy phrase right maybe even a memorable one found people find people but how do we get to the point where we don't just kind of nod our head and agree with that and say yeah i like that that sounds good but we actually start to embrace that idea into our own lives how do we actually start to live that out and practice it How do we get the courage to invite people to encounter Jesus? How do we deal with the the chance that we might get rejected or the fear of embarrassment? How do we deal with maybe having to answer questions that we don't know the answers to or explain some of the evils in this world that we don't understand? How do we even just get off our phones when we're standing around in a group of people to pick up kids at soccer or at school or at a birthday party or wherever we find ourselves get off our phones and actually talk with people how do we find the motivation to do this these are all really legitimate questions because there's a lot of emotion that happens around talking about Jesus and sharing our faith so it got me thinking about the habits of Jesus Is there a habit that Jesus had that we could look at and study and maybe start to adopt in ourselves to develop a new habit that would help us with this since Jesus was so good at it and did it so easily. And if there's a habit that I could adopt, maybe we could adopt, we could think about it as a community at Purpose Church. How could we really hold on to this core value of found people, find people, and see it lived out and played out with the people that we interact with? I got to tell you, when it comes to talking to people about Jesus, I get nervous too. Is that weird to hear that a pastor say that? Um I, sometimes I I get nervous too. I don't want them to not like me or just write me off as a Jesus freak. I get scared about it too. But I have to tell you I think the thing that has really motivated me the most in the last few years is as my kids start to get older and start to build relationships with other kids. 
I am so doggone passionate that everybody that my kids are in circle of influence with, that they will influence my kids to follow and know Jesus. And because of this, I am so doggone passionate that the friends that my kids have start to know Jesus and their parents start to know Jesus and their families start to know Jesus. And so this has really motivated my husband and I to embrace this philosophy of found people, find people. And it's pushed us a little bit out of our comfort zone so that we are more and more intentional about the people we talk to, about how we talk with them and what we talk about. And then at home, who we pray for and why we pray for them and how we pray for them. Um, This has become a passion for us. And, you know, um, I have to be, I have to tell you, I'm, I've been amazed. I've been overwhelmed sometimes at how God has answered and responded to some of these prayers. Now, my daughter, who's in third grade, she recently came home a few weeks ago, and there's a new girl in her class um, who's new to our school, new to our community, new family, and, and she's gotten to become friends with her. And so we've talked over the kind of the course of the time if she's asked her if she goes to church, if she knows Jesus, and so she's been having these conversations with her. Um, and, but it gets hard for a kid to invite someone to come to church because a kid is totally dependent on their parent being able to do that. And so we've been praying and praying for this girl and this family family. And so one time I, I just asked Zoe, are you, are you ready to invite her to church? And she's like, yeah, mommy, I totally want to. And so what I did is we've got these awesome business cards out in the lobby. They're at the Connect Center and they just have our church and our times on it. It's just a kind of a generic card. And I love to keep these in my van because they're so handy. And so I put one in a little Ziploc bag to put in her lunchbox with my name and my phone number. I'm just saying, hey, we'd love to have your family come to church sometime. Got to put in the Ziploc bag because, you know, lunch just gets kind of gross. So we were hoping the transition would happen from one lunchbox to another. So um, I, I, she came home and I'm like, so how'd it go? And she's like, well, I gave it to her. Me and that, you know, I'm like, all right, good job. Yay. So later that night, I'm sitting on the couch with Carl. We're just watching TV and my phone starts vibrating and I get a text from the mom and she introduces herself to me and tells me how much her daughter's been enjoying getting to know my daughter and how she got my note. And that was so kind. And so we start texting back and forth. And so I'm able to invite the whole family to church just on a text message to someone who I've never even talked to. And it is amazing to see how God works through those moments. Because found people, when they are passionate about finding people, God is in that, and God works through that. Now, I got to tell you, we don't invite people because there's something wrong with them. That's not the motivation that we need to have. We don't invite people to experience Jesus or come to church because there's something wrong with them. We invite them because we believe that Jesus makes our lives better. And Jesus makes us better at life. I mean, Jesus makes my life better. I love Jesus because he is someone who gives me something to live for. He gives me purpose in my life. Jesus is someone who helps make me a less selfish person. He is someone who motivates me to become a better person and to do things that honor him and glorify him. He challenges me because I know that I have made mistakes in my past, but that they are forgiven and I can lay them down. Jesus makes my life better because I know that this life is not all that there is, that there is a life that comes after this. And so I am motivated and passionate about who Jesus is in my life. And so how do I take this passion 
and this motivation and turn it into uh, a, a way, a habit that I can communicate with people that helps them to be able to experience Jesus. So I started asking myself, are there some habits that we could get into as we look at this idea of habits? Can we create a habit of inviting others? Yes, we can. I think that we can do this. So, you know, people invite people all the time to things, right? I mean, do you always get invitations to weddings? You get invitations to birthday parties? You get evite invitations? Maybe you even have a welcome mat out on your door to welcome people to come on in and invite them into your home. Well, there are three cues in our conversation with others that when we hear them, it should be an automatic trigger for us to be able to invite others to church. And we're going to call these the three knots. So um, they are things are not going well, I was not prepared for, or I am not from here. So I wonder, do you start to hear some of the echoes from the story we looked at in John 4 from the Samaritan woman at the well? Things were not going well for her. She had some troubles with men. Uh, She was not prepared to encounter a holy man at a well in Sychar, Samaria, on that hot day. And she definitely was not from the right place, being a Samaritan from the region of Samaria. So I begin to wonder if we adopted these knots into our life so that they became a habit for us when we encountered people that we could listen for these cues in these conversations that we have and use this as a prompt to invite them to come to church. Now you have a little rope that you were given when you came in today, so go ahead and get your little rope out, and I want you to go ahead and tie a knot in your rope. I've got some big knots up here to show you what that looks like. Go ahead and tie one knot. And as we look at that first knot, things are not going well. So as we begin to listen for this cue in conversation that things are not going well, it's when you start talking with people and they say things that they have things happening in their life that they don't know how to handle. They just lost a job. They got a bad medical report. Um, they are not sure um, if they're going to be able to keep their job. Um, maybe they had to file for bankruptcy. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in life that we are uh, that aren't going the well, way that we had intended them to go. Maybe you would run into a mom and she says, gosh, I'm just so lonely. And that could be an opportunity to hear that it's something that's not going in her well for her, and you could invite them to come to the mom's ministry here at church. Now, we may not have all the answers for those difficult life moments that we encounter with people, but those are a great time to offer them the hope of Jesus by experiencing Jesus at church. And so just by saying something like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry that you are going through that. You know what? Why don't you come to my church? I've gone through a lot of hard things too. And this can be a really helpful place for God to bring some hope into your life. And you invite them. Now the second knot, go ahead and tie a second knot in your rope. And as you tie that, we're going to look at the ideas, I was not prepared for something. 
Now, as you think of listening for this conversation, there's all kinds of things that we are not prepared for in life. I was not prepared for this when I got married. I was not prepared for this when I had kids. I was not prepared for teenagers, right? There's all kinds of things in life that we are not prepared for. And so this becomes a really powerful opportunity. And someone says, gosh, I was not prepared for this person to die. Say, do you know what? We have this amazing program at our church called Grief Share. I think it could really help you. Why don't you come? Or I was not prepared to get divorced. This was not what I had planned in my life. Say, oh my gosh, you know what? We've got this program at our church called Divorce Care. Why don't you come? It could be really helpful to you. When all of these things happen in our lives that we are not prepared for, it gives us an opportunity to speak into people's lives. And, you know, we can't solve all those problems and we can't fix it all. But when you have Jesus, you are walking with Jesus to help you through that. And when you don't have Jesus in your life, the weight of your inadequacy just falls down upon you. And you're looking for an opportunity to reach out and find something else to help you through that situation in life. And so just by saying something like, this is so crazy that you are going through this. I am so sorry. I've gone through some really difficult stuff in my life too. And do you know what has helped me? By being in a community at my church. Why don't you come Sunday? I'll meet you there. We'll sit together. I think it could really help you. And then the third knot, if you want to tie that third knot in your rope to remind yourself of our three knots, is I'm not from here. And maybe this is the easiest one of all, because the whole idea that I'm not from here gives you a beautiful opportunity to invite someone to come to church, because they're looking for community. They're looking to get to know people. And so just by saying, hey, I'm so glad to meet you, Welcome! It's so good to have you in Southern California. It's so good to have you in Pomona. It's so good to have you wherever you are. Have you found a church yet? You should come to my church. I love my church. Why don't you come and meet me there on Sunday? Just by using the three knots as cues in our conversation helps us give us the opportunity to create a habit that invites people to come to church. And I want to encourage you, grab some of these business cards that we have. They're out at the Connect Center on your way out. Put them in your car, put them in your wallet, put them in your purse so that you have these. You might even put them in a lunchbox sometimes and see how God works through a little card and a little invitation. Because found people find people. And this is a pattern we see all through scripture. Even when the early disciples first found Jesus, this was their initial response. Look at this in John 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he was a disciple of Jesus, was one of the two who heard what John, John the Baptist, had said about Jesus and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. See, found people find people. And habits are something that dictate our actions and our behaviors. Your habits really define the person that you have become. And research show that habits are so powerful that they have powerful trickle-down effects. 
Research shows that the habit of having a family dinner together at your house each night does something for kids other than just feed them. Research shows that it helps build confidence in kids, it gives them better study patterns, and it gives them uh, a better sense of budgeting. Just by having dinner together, that habit has a powerful trickle-down effect. Research shows that there's a powerful trickle-down effect for people who food journal, who write down what they eat, and for those who exercise. That the powerful trickle-down effects is that you have more energy, you have a healthier body, and you can even lose weight. Powerful trickle-down effects that happen with that habit. See, habits are powerful. And I wonder what would happen if we here at Purpose Church, our community, embraced a habit of listening for the three knots. I was not prepared for, I am Um, things are not going well, or I am not from here. And as soon as we hear that cue in a conversation, that we invite people to come and be part of our community here at Purpose Church. Because this habit could have a really powerful trickle-down effect of bringing people to church, introducing them to Jesus, and changing our world. Because found people, they find people.